International Teacher Magazine presents Talking About the ITM Podcast with your host, Andy Hamden. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this International Teacher Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm very pleased to welcome uh, to be with us today Conrad Hughes, who is the campus and secondary principal at the International School of Geneva, and Max Simpson, who is the CEO and founder of StepsCommunity.com in Bangkok. What I'd like to do first, Conrad, is just, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself in the world of international uh, education, what you're doing and how you got there? Hi, Andy. Yeah, I'm the campus and secondary school principal for La Grande Boissière, which is the oldest and the largest campus of the International School of Geneva. Our school was founded in 1924. We're the world's first international school. We are very proud of our heritage. We invented the Model United Nations system in the 50s, the International Baccalaureate Diploma Program in the late 60s. And right now, one of the things that I'm doing uh, apart from all of the work that a principal does with you know students, parents, teachers, multiple stakeholders, one of the things I'm doing is is innovating with my team a new approach to the end of high school. We're reforming high school transcripts. So you're looking at a number of things as well as carrying on with the day-to-day stuff at a, at a big international school with, 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 with some heritage and, and history in the past of, of international education. Max, Bangkok. Tell us about Bangkok. Tell us about Steps. Well, Bangkok is mostly hot, um, as I'm sure you know. Um, a pleasure to be here today, by the way. Um, Steps is a project that I co-founded about five years ago. Uh, with the aim to change outcomes for the 14-plus neurodivergent population who are so often not accommodated for in the majority of international schools. So I'm sure we're all familiar with the the path that if you can't follow the the IB or uh, whatever uh, system the school is in place, then you may be in a segregated class for some time doing a high school diploma or something like this, but there, there isn't really outcomes beyond education. Um, so I founded Steps to to bridge that gap between education and employment, and we primarily do do three things. So we train the neurodivergent population with UK accredited um, curriculum. We model sustainable and inclusive businesses. So we have coffee shops, we have retail stores, and we have a business service centre. And then we empower employers so that they're able to provide appropriate and meaningful employment for our graduates um, and then we do a lot of ongoing support with them um, so we're a big believer in partnerships. Fantastic. Uh, just perhaps a little bit of background for those who might not be familiar with the term neurodivergent. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yes of course and this is something that comes up quite often for us um, especially as we're working with employers and people outside of our immediate community. So yep. uh, as many of the listeners will be aware we often use the term special educational needs, uh, learning yep. differences, uh, alternative pathways um, and it can be tricky to, to get the terminology right. So neurodivergence is the most commonly accepted term by the community mm-hmm. themselves and okay. um, refers okay. to differences uh, needed, differences good, mm-hmm. and the world mm-hmm. needs to value that sort of um, different way of thinking. You've both been published in International Teacher Magazine in the last month or so, and uh, the stories are really interesting. And on the surface, 
very different. Different backgrounds, different schools, different uh, aims, different outcomes for kids, apparently. But what we thought uh, was interesting about what you were both doing, you're, you're kind of providing new pathways for students to the future. And you had something in common. And that's what we'd really like to explore and see if you found the same kind of thing, uh, the same kind of difficulties, uh, the same kind of aims uh, as you, you, you develop your ideas. So, Conrad, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about uh, how your work with transcripts led to something really quite new. Yeah, well... The, the 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 theory that we we have and it's it's beyond a theory i mean this is a empirical you know it's it's palpable it's at the end of high school yeah becomes a teach to the test yep. examination preparation mm. dog and pony show or jumping through hoops uh scenario now yep. i'm obviously oversimplifying things because there's a lot that's beautiful in the whole process of examining students. Yep. And there's a lot of power in the type of uh, criticality uh, and higher order thinking that you do find in the present uh, standardized, high stakes, narrow, externally administered examination system. However, however, there's so much more that we would like to celebrate and we're not allowed to celebrate and students aren't allowed to really uh, celebrate because of this. It's you know, when I was listening to Max, uh, I heard the word divergent. I heard the word di diverse. And this is what it's all about. We're in a, in a very uh, convergent system right now, where everybody is meant to uh, uh, perform in the same way, according to the same metrics. And it's time to, to look at human flourishing and what it means to be educated in a much more diverse and open-minded manner. So essentially, we want to we, we want to get away from this um, examination preparation uh, obsession uh, that is is really overwhelming at the end of secondary school. It's causing a lot of stress. It's causing anxiety. It's drowning out creativity for teachers as well as students, by the way. And it's not allowing every star to shine. It's not allowing every bird to fly. So if we go back to the early days of the IB diploma. Um, this was started uh, and designed to avoid those sorts of problems largely, wasn't it? I mean, we wanted more activities. We wanted theory of knowledge. We wanted kids to show the uh, affective side of themselves as well as the academic side of themselves. What you just said, do you think that applies even now, even today, uh, to the IB, that you're finding more convergence rather than divergence of opportunity to show kid uh, for kids to show what they can do yes i do I, I mean okay if you look at the origin of the ib yeah you had the um influence of kurt hahn yes uh, atlantic college the round yes. square movement outward bound that whole emphasis on extracurricular um, flourishing uh, in, influenced the 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 design of the program. And that's been one of the characteristics of the IB, this holistic whole child educational experience, along with other elements of the core, you know, um, the extended essay with its yeah. inquiry-based learning and theory of knowledge, which is, in, you know, transdisciplinary thinking and grappling with real world problems. All of that's great. However, it's not so much the IB, I think it's changed. It's the world that's changed. Yeah. And the... 
competitive nature of the end of high school means that no matter how uh, creative you are with the design of uh, summative assessment, it becomes an exercise, a kind of zero-sum game and trying to get the best possible score. And and that is a situation that is that goes way beyond schools. I mean, it's something that is is really, uh, I, I think, a problem in society today. And so we, and and I, th- I think we've got some some tentative solutions to it. But yeah, in short, I think the IB, the spirit of the IB, has remained uh, the same. But the, the the way that the IB has uh, magnified in scale, and the way that it's looked at now in this highly competitive arena, uh, has has warped what the experience is for students. And there's one other thing I'd have to say, and I love the IB. I did the IB myself, yes. but it's, but it's a lot. We're asking a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I see my daughter yes. do a 20 page internal assessment for yes. math standard while she's preparing for three history examinations that will take place on the same day. And while she's going through a biology higher level syllabus, that's basically covering everything you can study in biology. I think, you know what, isn't this just a little bit too much? Mm-hmm. So these things, uh, it's time to have a look at them again. It's time to, to view them in a new light. And I think what I was picking up from you there, a, a couple of really important things, I think. Employers and those who take the kids from uh, our secondary schools seem to be judging them on too narrow a base. Is that what you're saying? Well, I think, I, I think that a forward-looking uh, creative approach to uh, employment is to look at a candidate for what yeah. you know they he she can bring to the organization and ready to 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 meet them where they are and try yeah. and open up to uh, what what the person brings yep whereas a, a a narrow approach and i think probably the the predominant approach mm. is okay well how well can you fit into this organization it's not uh-huh. about what you can bring it's do you fit into this organization right and um this whole idea of sort of uh, formatting people to 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 meet the needs of an organization yeah. Yeah. is not really going to make uh, for a diverse and creative human flourishing it's it's really uh, you know basically turning people into robots now don't get me wrong you know, these are these are vast sweeping statements. Yes, and and that they really boil down to human beings and the decisions yep. they're making. Yep. But the fallback is obviously qualifications, yep. um, uh, certificates, metrics that are there to uh, ensure the uh, employer of some kind of gauge of quality. Yes, but when you w- w- when you deconstruct those certificates and qualifications and you yes. look at them carefully, and most people in education are complaining about this, what they're measuring is A, very narrow, and yep. B, not ironically, not actually measuring what what we say we're interested in, you know, okay. which, which are, are competences, which are people skills, which are attitudes, mindset, all this stuff that, that, that we keep going on about, but isn't really measured in traditional assessments. I'd, I'd like to come back to the ideas that you're developing as a result of this thinking in a minute, but pass over to Max again. Max, what what has uh, uh, Conrad said that perhaps resonates with you as you've developed your ideas for your students who are in many ways different but have similar needs? Perhaps you can just uh, comment on that. Yeah, I, I see a lot of synergy actually um, as we talk about competencies that are needed for the, the 21st century, that they are more widespread and companies 
have only been given the tool of standardised education or assessments to decide whether somebody's appropriate for that position or not and are under social pressure now to look at other ways to capture talent and and fit in, uh, which Conrad pointed out very well. They're not looking at how people can add value to the organisation in their own unique or diverse way. It's how can you fit into this box, which presents a lot of challenges for, for all candidates, but in particular our community. Um, so it's an interesting um, battle, if you will, to get employers to, to see this in another light. But I think what Conrad is doing with the um, uh, network of schools who are then connected with the universities to try and change this so we capture talent and we capture skills and competencies in different ways is, is a great forward step um, for neurotypical students. Um, and what we are doing sort of... Um, is a similar approach but specifically for the neurodivergent so so you see you both seem to be making statements about uh, the way society views young people you know they're looking in their quest for understandable quest i have to say for standards that they know where they are with they have um uh put people in a box as you say they have made them into stereotypes of a-grade students with 40-plus points uh, of uh, uh, IB assessment, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the diploma, or they are special needs kids who might be difficult to employ uh, in our organisation. That's what you both seem to be saying. It's about what society is saying. Would you think that's true, Max? Yeah, we, we often talk about as well that um, when you look at a job uh, advertisement these days, the list of skills you're expected to have is huge. You need to be yep. a good uh, team player. You need to be able to work collaboratively and independently mm. and uh, probably be able to have some uh, high level of ICT skills these days, maybe graphic mm. design and, 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 mm. and, and. Mm. But the average person is unlikely to be able to excel at all of those skill sets. So yep. The expectation is there. Uh, and when you talk about the stress that you watch young people be under to try and meet those benchmarks, um, and then on the other hand, as an, as an employer, I've hired new graduates who need so much support and mentoring in, yeah. in, 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 to yeah. being able to fulfill their role that we're doing, the but employers are doing it wrong and the education system, is the, the gap is, is huge. We're not connecting yeah. the two together. And I think schools and education centers need to be more responsible for what happens post-18 and it's not a yeah. race to get them to graduation and then job done, we've washed our hands of it. Yeah. We need to be thinking beyond and what are the outcomes that we can help to facilitate. Yeah, yeah. I think it's true. Um, when I am employing people or interviewing people, yes, there are so many things you want to talk about apart from their uh, apparent competence that are demonstrated by their degree or whatever. And it's the character as well as the competence uh, that, that I'm looking for in, a, in an interview. I want to know what they're like. And I suppose, Conrad, that's something you'd like to, be, uh, to, to, to see being brought out a little bit more fully, their character and their profile, what they really have to offer. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what we're interested in, it's lifelong learning, your appetite to just keep going, your curiosity, your openness, uh, self-agency. Uh, your entrepreneurship, your ability to stand on your own two feet, to have an opinion, to, to show up, to say, this is who I am. We're interested in the way you interact with other people, uh, and that involves active listening, respect, fellowship, leadership, teamwork. We're interested in how you can interact with diverse tools and resources, not just technology, but whatever's around you. 
Uh, we're also interested in how you interact with the world, environmental custodianship, uh, your understanding of, of your role in, in, in the whole ecosystem, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, these, these competences, uh, which you'll see published uh, by, you know, consortia and organizations as 21st century learning imperatives or skills, mm. we, we know they're out there. And in fact, we've been having this conversation for quite a long time. We have. The yes. problem is, the problem is at school, there's quite a lot of that going on in the primary and lower middle school because yeah. you don't have this sort of Damocles of, of, of the summative, you know, end of high school assessment hanging over you. But as soon as you start getting to the last two, three years, yep. uh, it, it's, it's quite damaging. And, you know, just to come back to, to Max's interest, uh, obviously the, the, for neurodivergent students um, and for teachers who have this imperative to get students the best possible grades on these standardized tests, uh, it becomes quite traumatic, actually, you know? Uh, so how are we going, I'll put this to both of you, how are we going to demonstrate to employees succinctly the qualities? There's a huge range of things that uh, students can potentially demonstrate to universities, uh, admissions offices, to employers, a huge range of, uh, of, uh, of qualities uh, as well as competences. How are we going to do that succinctly so that the world is manageable from their point of view and nevertheless pays respect to the diverse qualities that exist in any one of your students uh, whoever they are, either with you, Max, or, or, or you, Conrad. Max, how are we going to do that? <laughs> good question. Um, I think the, the Swiss system is actually very good at this, uh, in, in my mm -hmm. opinion, um, where internships and apprenticeships are integrated from quite an early age. So mm -hmm. students are accessing work and getting to experience different roles within big, well-known companies so that both sides are getting to see okay, this is what this might look like. This is what uh -huh. a learner might need to develop. A mentorship programs are developed. Uh -huh. um, and this is very similar to what we are doing. The partnerships of employers help both sides come together and create realistic job roles that are meaningful. Tell us a little bit more about that, Max, the, what you set up that to enable your kids to demonstrate what they can do and develop new skills at the same time. There's two approaches. So for them to attain qualifications, they produce an, uh, an uh, evidence of learning, so a learning log, mm -hmm. which can be produced in a number of ways, whether it's photos, diary entries, video logs. This helps them attain their qualifications. But at the same time, that learning log acts as a, a visual for an employer to see what type of mm -hmm. things they're good at. Yep. And then when we go yep. into work closely with the employer, we're then actually facilitating these particular types of work would be perfect for this individual. Uh, and maybe they, they won't come in and say good morning to all colleagues, but they will go directly to their workstation and open a digital work log where all their work will be loaded for them so they can work independently. Um, and this is where we find that employers are really struggling. It's not often through lack of wanting to hire inclusively. It's having no idea of where to begin. Ah, that's a very good point. And what are the particular skills that you're developing with your students uh, at STEPS? Just tell us a little bit about those vocational skills that you're taking forward. 
in general, we're looking at work readiness, so employability yes. as a whole. It, it's already quite a broad uh, topic, as, as we're already discussing for whether it's neurotypical or neurodivergent students, all the things we're expected to have to be employable. Um, and within that is core transferable skills, such as time management, mm. problem solving, um, following instructions, and so on. So we try and narrow down to the really really truly essential things because as we are then the advocate often with the employer we help them to reduce their expectations of actually you don't need all of these skills to perform well in the workplace we've just put this pressure on candidates to feel like they they, they have to um, and work experience is a very important part of your your program as well isn't it uh, what sort of ba- what sort of uh, industries are they working in to to get this experience yeah we work across a range of industries from hospitality to uh, tech to marketing uh, everything really we try to have at least one partner in the major sectors um, and often we find that work actually is quite similar in one sector from another. It's just the the, the, the content of it. So, so this helps. So one person working in an office somewhere isn't so different than working in an office elsewhere. Um, we do quite a lot of accounting and HR um, and these sorts of departments and trainees. I think help. people will be surprised at the range of response you're getting from your students and their efficacy in the workplace and how pleased employers actually are when that transition is facilitated well and you're doing that no absolutely it's um where we are in particular makes the perceptions of disability particularly um negative so employers who begin with us typically uh, are international global companies first who have a little bit more awareness but absolutely they are surprised that somebody mm-hmm. with this diagnosis could perform this well and then they see the long-term impacts that they have less turnover of their non uh, of their neurotypical staff because they feel like they're working for an organization that has mm. value beyond uh, maximizing profit. They're doing things that have other meaning in the community. And that's becoming more and more important. And But that's another podcast, I think. <laughs> we can schedule that one. <laughs> yeah. But I think you've used a phrase that I'd like to pick up with you, Conrad, that managing the transition from where they are now to where they could be and where you know they can be if people value the right kind of qualities that you've seen and that you want to make uh, uh, available to other employees or universities. So how are you going about, uh, going about uh, Conrad, trying to change the situation so you can manage that transition better? Right. So we've designed this passport, which is essentially a an electronic platform that allows students to stack the evidence of things they've done in each of these competences I was talking about. And this is going to accompany every regular transcript that we take to post-secondary institutions, universities, colleges, maybe even directly uh, employers. Right now, we can't substitute the regular high school transcript Mm -hmm. with this alternative transcript because that would be hurtful to students. But we want to start educating people looking at the students this way. And so each story that will be told will be slightly different because each radial graph that describes these competences will look slightly different. And I think what we're doing is, A, encouraging students to show the school and the world everything they do. A lot of this is going to be stuff that happens outside of school. Mm. That's really exciting. And B, it's going to allow us to start looking at students, not as numbers, but mm. as as different shapes and sizes on these graphs. And we all know that 
diversity increases productivity and it's a good thing to have in the workplace. So hopefully employers will start to look at candidates uh, in terms of the diversity they want to bring to their team. And when they see that, you know, students particularly um, passionate and, and, and developed in um, interpersonal skills or another student's done a lot of work on social advocacy and sort of self-agency, they can consider this as part of the puzzle that they're trying to put together instead of looking everybody the same way. So this isn't available just at your school, is it? You're, you're, you're making it available and getting other schools to join you to, to, to develop this learner passport, aren't you? Well, we want the learner passport to be a common good. Yeah. We're, not, we're not going to, to, to make this some kind of commercial exercise. We want anyone to be able to access it. That's the vision. That's the dream. We've put a, a lot of resources into developing it. We've got a, a web developer on it. We've got a whole team mm. to bring to force this uh, first prototype that you're going to see round about the spring, maybe summer of this year. Yep. And it's really going to roll out next year. Tandem to that. I've, I, I reached out to all of the heads of school and colleagues that I knew mm. to see if people were interested in continuing this discussion together. Mm. That's become the coalition to honor all learning. Yep. And what, what, we're, what we're looking at and what we're, we're, we're really pushing, it's a number of different alternative transcripts. So ours here at the International School of Geneva is the learner passport, but you've got a global citizenship diploma. You've got micro-credentialing. You've got um, the mastery transcripts. You've got the UWCs developing their own uh, mm. diploma. You've got a lot of alternative diplomas. And so that second movement, which is a confederation of institutions that are trying to break out of this gridlock of standardized assessments, what it's showing is, again, another exercise in diversity. It's that we can actually have different expressions of what we're trying to bring out of mm. our students. Because yeah. you know what? Not every, not every school is the same. Yeah. And the people who can tell the real story of the students First, the students themselves, obviously. Mm. It's the people who've taken that journey with them. You know, yes. pedagogy, pedagogia, they've walked with the child. Yeah. And so compiling these is necessarily going to look and feel a little bit different mm. according to the institution yeah. that we are considering. One of the problems we have with assessment today is this globalized standardization, which um, is, is in a way the, the, the tail wagging the dog. Mm. What I mean by that is that for economic and for structural purposes, we've designed assessment um, ease and, and, and ergonomics that aren't actually allowing for assessment validity. They're allowing for um, a, a, a kind of broad and, and, and simple way of capturing students' talents. Yeah. If we're really going to get to the core of each human being and what they can do, some of that's going to have to be disrupted. And we move, you know, Max was basically talking about a kind of portfolio that's yeah. going to be part of it. That is part of our passport as well. There's a portfolio function. I'm going to bring in Max there. Do you see uh, value in what uh, Conrad's doing for your work? Could you be part of this movement to uh, to use this learner passport, do you think, in, in the same kind of way? I hope so, yes. I mean, from what I've read about it, it, it sounds very similar to what we're doing. Um, one part that we have to, to focus on is making everything accessible. So as long yep. as the, the platform is designed with that in mind or could, could be added later, then absolutely, I think it's something that could add value for our community also. And if it becomes uh, something that employers and universities recognize and it's got that mark on it, then um, uh, it will be 
perhaps uh, as valuable for your students as it is for Conrad's. Uh, it might be interesting. Can I just ask one last thing, Conrad, about uh, recognition? How important is it that this learner passport gets recognised by universities and employees? And what can you do to uh, to bring that about? That is going to be important. There are two approaches to recognition. One is top-down, one's bottom-up. So the top-down is try and get in with the big guns, with the provosts, with the presidents, with the movers and shakers, and think that they're going to make things happen uh, in their organizations. We realize pretty quickly that that's not how it works. Universities are disparate organizations Mm. uh, across districts, across countries, across regions. I mean, faculties within institutions don't always have uh, the same policies and processes. So that leads us to the second approach, which is bottom-up, student-by-student, case-by-case, uh, university by university. When you come to our school, we will give you the learner passport. And through time, uh, we believe that we can influence uh, uh, the educational paradigm that way. First, for our students. And secondly, as universities become more and more au fait with this mm. um, through their institutional recognition. And we do have some universities who've joined the coalition. We've got Toronto, ah, Lynn, and a couple of others. We that's want them to join us. Yeah. But it takes time. You know, It's yeah. complicated. Yeah, and getting the relationships with the admissions offices so that they understand what's going on. But it does remind me, in a way, uh, of a battle that has been fought in my time, and that was the battle for the recognition of the IB diploma. Um, You know, even in the 1990s, that battle was being fought in various different countries, and one by one, with the with the uh, uh, the the help and the energy and the application of the IB, of course, the IB organisation. It was one, and now it's recognised throughout the world. So, it's it's something that is a, a path that uh, has to be trodden. Uh, and I think uh, all power to to you and the guys who are are looking at doing that to get that recognition. Last thoughts, um, uh, Max, about uh, where you are and perhaps what you've learned from uh, Conrad here today. I think um, the battle that you are facing with universities is very similar to what we face with employers. Uh, And I know that that's part of uh, Conrad's scope too, but I think in the first instance, it's predominantly focused on universities. So it's, I think, um, having formed a network of other schools that want to take this on with you is very powerful. And um, you can, as a leader or an innovator in inverted commas, it can feel quite lonely sometimes when you feel like you're, you're doing yes. this uh, in isolation. But actually, we, we know that there's good champions elsewhere. So I think that's um, a very great takeaway for me is that I should be spending more time uh, focusing on those efforts of coming together with other people doing the same thing because um, you're better in a united approach. Maybe as part of the coalition that uh, Conrad's putting together, which would be wonderful. Absolutely. Uh, Very happy to discuss that further, Conrad. And on that note, Conrad, Conrad Hughes uh, from the International School of Geneva, Max Simpson from uh, thestepscommunity.com in Bangkok. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your thoughts uh, for this this podcast, this International Teacher Magazine uh, podcast, talking about, shall we say, pathways to the future for our students. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking About, the ITM podcast. Visit conciliumeducation.com. Copyright 2022. Produced by J. Lasky Voices. Providing sound solutions for your voiceover needs. jlaskyvoices.com.